Welcome to the church at Woodbine, those here live, those worshiping with us online. We are so glad that you are here. Before we dive into 1 Thessalonians, and if you've closed your Bibles or turned your cell phone off, we're going to park right here in chapter 1 of Thessalonians. Before we do that, I have a pastoral privilege announcement that I want to give. Uh, Andre kind of did at the beginning of the service, but most of us, uh, we come at Mexican time. You know, we start at 1045 and most of us arrive at like 1105. And so, you know, it's just the way it is. And, and I tease Mexico just because that's where I live forever. So I feel half Mexican. But anyway, one of the announcements is, is today was the last day of our 930 life groups. And the next two Sundays, we will have worship at 1045 and that's it. And then on June 3rd, we're going to celebrate July 4th. So as July 3rd, sorry, thank you. On July 3rd, we're going to celebrate 4th of July with a brunch. And so Elizabeth Dahl, Mary Barnes, Jordan Schmidt, a few others are going to spearhead that brunch. But a brunch is everybody brings food to help. And that'll be in our chapel at 9 a.m. on July 3rd. And then July 10th, July 17th, July 24th, and July 31st, we will have what we call Summer Sundays at 9.30. And it's in all of our students and adult groups will gather together in the chapel. And we've done this. We didn't do it the past two years just because of COVID. But it was something that we used to do uh, during the summer for several reasons. One, it was just for the fact that so many people are going on vacation and out. It was sometimes hard to, quote unquote, cover all of our life groups with teachers and stuff. Two, it's just to give everybody a break. It's to recalibrate. It's also to help our life groups blend and mix. And for those who don't know, about 50% of our congregation through COVID have migrated to other churches, other cities, other countries, or just in their homes. And then another 50% have joined our church over the past year, year and a half. The congregation today is way different than two years ago. And when people ask about COVID, I'm like, COVID scrambled our eggs. And so during our summer Sundays for this summer, we're going to, it's called Woodbine 2.0. And we're going to really focus on who are we as a church? Why do we do what we do? Today, we're going to commission a young couple to go overseas on the mission field. Why does this and how does this small church have 10 missionary family units on the mission field? One fourth of all global workers from Brentwood Baptist come from this campus. Why? How? It's what Holy Spirit is doing in us, through us. I don't say that to brag. It's just part of our DNA. And so summer Sundays this summer, we're going to focus on who we are and why do we do what we do, our vision and mission. One of the things that COVID really did was just with our child care and our children and our nursery, we dedicated four babies a month ago. The size of our littles is growing, both in numbers and in stature. Just so you have to look at Andy, wherever Andy is of Julie and, Ann, uh, Julie and James. Their boy is huge. And we don't want to throw just warm bodies down there to watch the kids. But men and women, young and old, who truly understand that the kingdom of heaven belongs to little children. And we need more help. Lauren needs more help. So we've got the summer to walk through that. But I want to challenge all of us to serve and especially serve our littles. They deserve it. 
So if you are not serving in any way or feel a special call to children, you can talk with Lauren Jones. She's right here. Wave your hands. And we've got the summer to figure that out. All right. That's my pastoral privilege announcement. All right. Are we good? Okay, you're dismissed. Now, today's sermon, I titled it kind of tongue-in-cheek, A Turn to Serve. And it comes from right at the end of this passage in 1 Thessalonians. They turned from serving idols, dead idols. They turned to serve the living God. A turn to serve. And I got to thinking about turning, and this is just the way my brain works. And I got to thinking about turning around, and then I started thinking about one of my favorite jungle gym type exercise play things during recess. Now, here's my question for you. When you were in elementary school, or if you're still in elementary school, what was your favorite class you took? Math, English, science, Spanish, writing, recess. Mine was recess. I loved it. And I can remember coming back to the States from 20 years in Mexico, looking at most of the recreational places that children are allowed to play on today, and it's made out of plastic. And the ground is real super soft. And I'm like, that's not what we played on when I was little. Let me show you a couple pictures. This is kind of what it looked like in the past. Now, it might be a little blurry. This was a long time ago. I wasn't quite in elementary school at this time here. So, But you can see there's two kids on every swing, and they're standing up. Why? Well, because the swings used to be made out of this. And you can go to the next slide, Chris. Just a wood plank. And if you go to the next one, and this is real playgrounds equipment, there's a kid, he's probably 25 feet in the air on a swing. And I think that might be a junior high kid, which is a middle school kid these days. Look how high he's up. There's a ladder that goes all the way to the top of that thing, and it leads to where? Is that Jacob's ladder? (laughs) And then in the next picture, I mean, these are real playground areas. I actually circled, there's a kid actually falling off, and they took this picture. Now, I'm still alive. I played on stuff kind of like this. Are you nervous, Lauren? The next picture is the slide. Now, the greatest thing is there's a puddle down at the bottom. <laughs> now, here's the four-year-old view of the slide. If you're four years old, you're at the top of it. That's what it used to look like. It was this metal plank. And in the spring and summer and fall, it could get so hot that you could actually cook eggs on it. It would peel your skin off. You could hear it going down. 20, 30 feet tall. My favorite one was this one. Oh, there's another one. I love that one. Now, that girl is 90 degrees on that swing, perpendicular to the ground. Where are the teachers? My favorite one was this one, a merry-go-round. I loved the merry-go-round. I'm going to explain why here in a minute. Now, It was intended to be like this. A teacher or parent just softly, you know, swings them around, you know, or the kids are running around all nice. See how they're all holding on? Yeah, you know, and then if you go to the next one, the problem is you get centrifugal force, the G-forces of that dad holding on to his child. And then the the playgrounds got really crazy with the swing merry-go-round. Look at that concrete landing they would have. The merry-go-round. The next slide, here's how we played. We would all stand and congregate right in the middle, and there is like this metal bar. You weren't allowed to touch anything with your hands. 
And then we tried to get four or five kids on the outside, slinging that thing as fast as you could go. And whoever stayed on last without getting slung out, and you would get slung out. And, you know, you could hold on with your feet, but not your hands. I'm still alive. Chris, Chris Walton and I were talking about the things we would do. You know, after five or six concussions, you know, we might forget who we are when we turn 53, but, you know, it's okay. The common phrase that is heard on the playground is what? What do you think you hear? It's my turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. No, I was here first. It's my turn. A turn to serve. Think about all of us, even as grown adults. We might not have ever had the privilege of being on those type of jungle gyms. If you were, I'm not going to call you out and ask you to raise your hand. But, you know, if you were in elementary school in the 70s or earlier, that was your jungle gym set. But the most common phrase that little kids say is, it's my turn. I'm next. I'm first. But how many of us say that to ourselves when we come to a four-way stop and someone went in before us or... You know, we're in line and someone cuts in line. Or someone at work gets a promotion or a raise or a good friend goes on vacation and we're left with, well, when is it my turn? My turn. And this Thessalonian church is going to be an example to us about how it's our turn to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. Right here, 1 Thessalonians. I want you guys to stand again. Andrew, thanks so much for reading it. We're going to read this passage again real quick. 1 Thessalonians. Oh, I forgot my glasses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. It's the whole chapter. This was Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. They wrote this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit. To the church of, Thess- of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall when the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. You may be seated. Real quickly, just a quick review. How did the church of Thessalonica get started? Well, it got started because Paul and his ministry team, on their second missionary journey, they traveled from Philippi over to Thessalonica. And when they got there, if you read this, we looked at this last week in Acts chapter 17. It says, for three Sabbaths in the synagogue, there was a large Jewish population in Thessalonica. 
big enough where they actually built a synagogue. And they would meet on our Saturday, which is their Sabbath. And that's when they would have, quote unquote, what we would probably call church. And Paul, being a former Pharisee, and the Christian movement back then was still considered part of the Jewish faith. Paul's strategy as a missionary and our couple that's going today, they're going to have a strategy on how to proclaim and share the gospel with the people group that they're going to. There needs to be a strategy on how are we going to reach the unbelievers around us. In the same way, when we went to Mexico last month, And we shared the gospel with hundreds of people. If we had shared the gospel in English, would the gospel have been proclaimed? Yes. Would it have been heard? Yes. Would it have been understood? No. Because it wasn't in Spanish. So Paul's strategy, go to the synagogue first. Why? Because that is where the scripture is read. Jesus came first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So their strategy was find where the scriptures are read and where the Jews congregate and start there. And out of that will flow Holy Spirit. He will build his church. We will proclaim Jesus. And then we'll reach that city. Thessalonica, a a city of about 100,000 people. It was a port city. That means it was on the ocean, on the coast. The major highway of Rome, of the Roman Empire, the east-west highway, passed right through Thessalonica. So it was a city that was very wealthy, and it flourished in every way for good and for bad. Many internationals would pass through Thessalonica, rather on that highway or coming in by boat. Think of Nashville. The largest interstate in the United States passes right through Nashville, I-40. One of the largest north-south interstates crosses right through Nashville, 65. You've got 24, you've got all these highways zigzagging in and out of Nashville. Thessalonica was very similar. So Paul and his team, they go in, we're going to hit the synagogue first, trusting in Holy Spirit, we're going to proclaim Jesus, and they did. And it says that some of the Jews became believers. And many God-fearing Greeks, those are Gentiles, and many of the leading women in the city. The Jewish leaders became jealous. They incited a riot. They wanted to find Paul and his team. They were hidden by these very new baby, baby Christians. And as we saw last week, they pulled a man named Jason and some other dear brothers and sisters out. They threw them in jail. They accused them of insurrection. Jason and his group, they paid a bond to be freed. And then that night, Paul and his team fled. And they had only been there for three, four, five, six weeks, only three Sabbaths of teaching. And so they leave because of persecution. And as Paul leaves, he's very concerned. How are these baby new believers going to survive that? A few weeks go by, a couple months go by. He sends Timothy back. I need you to go back to Thessalonica to see how those new believers are doing. How are they doing? Because I fear that they might give in and cave in to to the persecution and they might reject Jesus and they might return to their old way of living. There's going to be so many trials and so many temptations and so much tribulation plus the persecution. How are they doing? Remember, the Thessalonica Christians, 
maybe a month or two old in the faith? Could you imagine you yourself, you come to know Jesus and with a month, all the leadership leaves and you're in charge of the, the church. How would you handle it? What would you do? So Paul sends Timothy back. Timothy arrives in Thessalonica. He stays with them for a while. He sees that the church is actually flourishing. It's not perfect by any stretch, but they're growing in the faith. They're resisting temptation. They're resisting persecution, actually with joy. They have lots of questions and there are issues. There's issues of sexual immorality. There's issues of rich versus poor. There's issues of people just flat out being lazy. Jesus says he's coming back, so I'm not going to do anything. He's coming back. Why do I need to do anything? Some questions that they had. And so then Timothy goes back to Paul when Paul is in Corinth and he's rejoicing. The church is doing well. There are a couple issues. Yeah, important issues, but they're doing well and they remember you and they remember us and they're thriving They're not just surviving, but they're thriving. In fact, everyone in the region is talking about the church in Thessalonica and the example that they are. So then Paul writes 1 Thessalonians. We've read it once. We'll read it again. And I got one question for you. As we read verse 1 through 6, what is one thing that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? Look at what Paul says in verse 1. And let's stand again. Get a little bit of exercise. You can eat some of that banana pudding for lunch today with all this up and down, okay? Verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, that's Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work, produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. All right, you may be seated. We'll just start right there. Here are some of my, when I read this passage for the first time at the beginning of the week, I had several impressions that the Lord laid upon me. First one was just prayers. Paul starts with a benediction, with a blessing and a prayer. It's found in verse 1 and verse 2. And then he talks about their faith, and he talks about their hope, and he talks about their love. The third impression that came to me very quickly was this. God has loved you, and he has chosen you. That's what Paul declares over the Thessalonians. Remember, God loves you, and he's chosen you, dear brothers and sisters. The fourth impression that had this was the power of the gospel. Paul says in Romans 1.16, for it is the power of the gospel for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's the power of the gospel. And it is number five, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Because when Timothy came back to Paul, and when Timothy began to share with Paul how the Thessalonians were living, 
and how they had turned from serving just worthless dead idols and how they had turned around like on a merry-go-round and they were serving the one true living God and how Timothy shared with Paul, no, Paul, you got to see this. I mean, they are an example, not just to those little believers there, but the whole city and the whole region are talking about what God is doing in Thessalonica. And it's amazing what's going on. And so right here, Paul starts out just what the Holy Spirit is doing in your lives. It's incredible. And you're filled with joy, even though you're being afflicted for your faith. The sixth thing is this, the joy and light of affliction. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes when I pray for revival here in America, I do it because I don't want to suffer persecution. I'm not praying because of Jesus' glory. I don't want to suffer. And the Lord has hit me pretty hard on the motivations for why I pray for revival of our country. If it's not for his glory's sake, why am I praying it? Jesus tells us that we will suffer and that the world will hate us because the world first hated him. And yet Paul is telling these Thessalonians right here, you have joy in the Holy Spirit, even though you're being afflicted for your faith. That's powerful. What is one thing that Holy Spirit is impressing upon you? And then right here, starting in verse 7, and this is the focus for today, a turn to serve. Starting right here in verse 7. Let's stand one more time. Oh, Doug, you're making us do all this up and down. Right here in verse 7, Paul starts, as a result, as a result of what? Verses 1 through 6. As a result, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything. I always wondered, so if you don't need to say anything, Paul, why did you write three, four and a half more chapters? Just a side point, okay? But I've wondered that, you know? For they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. All right, you may be seated. As a result, as a result of what? Verse 1 through 6. Everything that Paul described in verses 1 through 6 is now the result of what he's getting ready to say in verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. As a result of the fact that the grace and peace of God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ is on their lives. As a result of the fact that because God loves them and has chosen them, as a result of the fact that they receive the word of God as it really is, his word. As a result of the fact of the power and work of Holy Spirit in their lives. And as a result of the fact that they became imitators of Paul and his team, imitators of what? Of how they lived. First and foremost, their love and their their devotion to the Lord Jesus. But also, too, they watched how Paul and his ministry team, how they loved and supported one another. Paul and his team were quite unique compared to many of the traveling teachers and philosophers of the day. When they would come into a city, many of them, when they taught and spoke, would expect payment. 
Sometimes you see someone playing a guitar on the corner and you know, they've got a hat out and they want people to pay. In the first century, many of teachers, not just Christian teachers, but all of all types of religions, the traveling prophets and teachers, many of the false prophets would expect payment for their words. Paul was a tent maker. So he and his team, they actually didn't demand any payment, but they worked on the side to provide for their own needs. Now, work is worth his wages, Paul says to Timothy. And Paul, did he deserve to be supported by that early church? Yeah, absolutely. But he didn't demand it. And the way Paul loved Jesus and the way he served, you see, many people think that Paul was some angry, obtuse man. And at one point in time, he was. He was actually a murderer. But when you read Paul's writings, when he starts out at the beginning, And when he ends with 2 Timothy, Paul calls himself not only the least of all the apostles, he calls himself the worst of all sinners. Now that's humility. I have issues with Paul with that. You know, I think I'm the worst of all sinners. So we'll have to thumb wrestle or do something in heaven about that title. But you can watch Paul's humility and how he poured himself out. Now he couldn't do it by his own strength. It was only by the power and presence of Holy Spirit working in his life that Paul could do anything that he did. And that same spirit that works in Paul, that same spirit that works in the church at Thessalonica is the same spirit that you and I have who love and believe Jesus as Lord and Savior. That same spirit we see doing incredible miracles and transforming lives and societies and communities here in the New Testament is the same spirit that resides and abides in each and every one of us. And so Paul's saying, as a result of all this, here in verse 7, you have become an example to all the believers, not just there in little Thessalonica, but he mentions two regions, Macedonia and Achaia. That would be like saying Middle Tennessee and all of Tennessee. The whole region is talking about you guys and how you've been transformed and how you've changed. You've become an example You've become an example to everyone and everything in that entire region. Remember, they live right on the coast, Thessalonica, the largest northeast, sorry, east-west highway interstate in all of the Roman Empire passes through that city. So people are passing through Thessalonica every single day. And you're seeing this massive revival of probably thousands of people coming to know Jesus And their lives are radically changing. And as Paul describes here, you turned from serving and worshiping worthless, dead idols to serving and loving the living one true God. The Roman world was horrific when it came to greed, sexual immorality, pride, polytheism. All the Greco-Roman gods were just prevalent in every aspect of society. Sexual immorality, adultery, prostitution, homosexuality was the norm in that society at that time. It was expected. It was celebrated. And so when you had a Christian husband and wife say, no, we are going to love and we're committed to one another. You have a single person, someone who is single, not married. I abstain from all sexual immorality. Rejecting all the Roman Greek gods, the entire cultural system, saying, no, I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow the Jewish God. 
who we cannot see, yet we love and we serve. And remember from Acts chapter 17, even being willing to suffer persecution and imprisonment. We don't know anything about Jason from Acts chapter 17. But he was the host home. He was the person of peace for Paul and his team. And when the Jewish leaders incited a riot with the wicked men of the marketplace, Jason and those early believers, they hid Paul and his team somewhere. It doesn't say. And they themselves went out to confront their persecutors. And they went to prison for it. How could they do that? Because they had encountered the most amazing love, grace, mercy, and presence of Jesus by putting their faith in him. And when they encounter that love, they're willing to lay their lives down for Jesus. Why? Because he's already laid down his life for us. You see, when we experience and know, not just here, but we know here, the love of the Father and his grace and his mercy, we will be willing to do anything out of sacrificial love for him. John talks about it. We love him because he first loved us. So Paul talks to the Thessalonians and he's encouraging them. He's like, we really don't have anything else to say because they're already telling us your example of how you love each other and how you love the Lord and how you've turned from worthless idols and how you've turned to serve the one true God. And it's amazing. And then Paul goes on to describe it. He says it more. He says here in verse 8, look at what he says here in verse 8. He says, for the word of the Lord rang out from you. How does the Lord ring out from us? Do we just stand on a street corner, repent? Is that what it means? Maybe. But then is it much more than that? Absolutely, yes. The word of the Lord rang out from these young early believers by their actions, by their humility, by their boldness, by their willingness to serve and to sacrifice. Our actions will be so much more powerful than our words. And when people see Jesus in our lives, you know, that's why Jesus talks about, you know, the greatest of these. If you want to be first, you must be last. If you want to be in front, you must become a servant. You want to know what the key to having authority in the life of someone is? You want it is? It's to serve them. Because when you begin to serve someone else, when we humble ourselves and get up under them and lift them up, no, no, I'm here to serve you. That will give us authority in their lives. And what I mean by authority is not authority to dictate and to be a ruthless ogre in their lives, but it opens their hearts and their minds to listen to what we say because they see our humility and they see our willingness to sacrifice. They see our purity. And when they see us get down low and lift them up, saying, no, I'm here to serve you, it actually creates authority to speak into their lives. 
So when God's word rang out from the Thessalonians, yeah, they proclaimed Jesus with their mouth. But their actions of how they turned from worthless idols to serve the one true living God spoke a hundred times more powerful. Paul continues. He then goes on to say that your faith has gone out. And Paul described that faith in verse 3. If you jump back up to verse 3, Paul says this. He says, we recall in the presence of, of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, and love. Paul talks about that in Corinthians. Three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You see, one day our faith, and I want to ask the worship team to go ahead and come on back up. One day our faith will become sight. We'll see Jesus. We will no longer need to have faith, quote-unquote, because it will have been fulfilled. The hope, the blessed hope that he will return, and every Lord's Supper we proclaim it in the liturgy. Christ is died, Christ is risen. What's the third phrase? Christ will come again. That hope we have to endure hardship. And then love will always last. It's fruit of the Spirit. And I want to encourage all of you all to stand. This dear, blessed church of Thessalonia, Thessalonica, sorry. As a result of all those blessings that Paul describes, he talks about how the word of the Lord rang out and how their faith was evidenced by their obedience and how they had turned from serving worthless, dead idols to serve the living God. So my question, I have three questions for you. Is the word of the Lord ringing out in our lives? Is our faith evident by our works of obedience? James, the brother of Jesus says, I will show you my faith by my works. Our works don't save us. It's the proof of our faith. The third question is, have we turned from serving worthless dead idols to serve the living God? The action step for today is just one simple question. What is one thing that the Lord is speaking to you today? What is one thing? We're going to respond with worship. I'll be down here at the next step stable. If you need or want prayer, I'd love to pray with you. Let's worship Him.